Hello and welcome to Subcultured, a podcast exploring niche subcultures from around the world. I'm your host Jake Brennan and hunkered in my bunker today is fellow podcasters Joe Graham. Hello. Ben Hymans. Hello. And guiding us through the wasteland of tomorrow, Jacob Abbott. Hello. Howdy guys, how are we all doing today? Good. Very Great. good. Yeah, surviving. I mean that's the point of today, isn't it? Survival. Speaking of survival, I've always wondered to myself, guys, you know, if shit hit the metaphorical fan, what would happen? You know, what would you do? And I'd think to myself, fuck, I'm not even prepared. I am definitely not prepared for any kind of world-ending scenarios. I like to think I'm prepared, but... Do you have cash money? Because I don't keep cash. I, well, I, I quite often have a little bit of cash out on That's my not going to last you! How are you going to survive? Well, I mean, if anything, popular culture has told me that cash isn't, you know, as we know it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to develop into other widely available things. We, we have to come up with our own bartering system and oh, stick I to see. it. So, so your cash is useless because, well, as you say, no, no one carries cash. So what other household objects do we have? I particularly am investing in cheeses and in hopes that they will one day become the primary currency of the future. I mean, cheese does get better as it gets older, and to copy that kind of tactic, I think I will start bartering in wine. Wine and cheese. I mean, as you say, getting better of age, it's basically like interest, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Well, I think the problem here is that though it is nice to assume we'll survive the cataclysm that awaits us, how will we survive? Jacob, you're our guide today. What would you have to say on the act of survival? Well, I think to start off with, we need to kind of identify what exactly prepping and survival is. If we get the understanding down first, then we can go ahead of it. So I have a question. Yes. Is there a difference between being a survivalist and being mm. a, a, what do you call it, a prepper? The strange thing is, the words can be used interchangeably. And if you go on the forums and stuff, they just go one or the other. However, there is a slight difference between the two. Hold on a second, because I'm a responsible adult and didn't read through any of our notes. This is a thing that people do. I was just joking before, just going to skip, but is this like preparing for the end? Actually, yes, that's a good point. I should probably say what prepping is, first of all. Prepping is a movement or an idea that you actively need to prepare and be ready for certain events. So this can be... The general idea is, you know, a guy running around the forest, tinfoil hat, gun... Um, waiting for nukes to drop but it's actually quite a bit different than that there's quite a range so it goes from things such as oh there's a flood there's an earthquake oh i've lost my job to the end of the world i can see where it comes from with that mentality like it probably some of the builds with time like do you have a fire extinguisher in your house are you technically a prepper hmm and then you go a step from there. Well, I've got a fire extinguisher and I've got a fire blanket as well. Well, now I'm more of a prepper than most people that just have fire alarms. Those guys aren't prepared. So me saying having a finite amount of cheese would then consider me a prepper of sorts, whether or not it is end of the world or I'm going to lose my job tomorrow. Essentially, yes. I guess you could say there's different levels of prepping. There's basic kind of pragmatic one, and then you can go to the far end where you have you've got a bunker, you've got food stored, you've got guns and stuff ready. So it covers like a wide spectrum, really. So this isn't just a case of the world going to end. Because I think that intrigues me that I didn't really consider beforehand that preppers are people that are just preparing for any any case scenario. Yeah, so a prepper, basically, as the name implies, is just preparing for something. Instead of preparing for absolutely everything, they just look at things that might happen to them. So hmm. say you live in an area where it might flood, you're just preparing for that or you're just preparing for a certain amount of things. 
But this is where oh. we get into the distinction between a survivalist and a prepper. What's the weirdest thing then that people prepare for with regards to like apocalypse scenarios? Mm. I like to think that I prepare for the day by just wearing my sunglasses so I don't have to look people in the eye anymore. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> I wear headphones for the same reason. I mean, well, I, I think this is an interesting topic to get onto because, yeah, we could ask Jacob, you know, what's the weirdest thing he's found that people prepare towards the end of the world? But actually, what's the weirdest thing we prepare for? Mm. Oh. Because I think, yeah, that's the relatable small scale of this subculture, isn't it? I feel I over-prepare for everything. Mm. Like, there's not many things I don't have a Trello board set up to prepare for. (laughs) I mean, at the end of the world, I think having a Trello board is definitely top priority. I mean, if you can make a list and prioritise which one is the key factor of the day, then you, I mean, we don't even have to survive on Earth. I haven't started my Apocalypse Trello board yet because I was waiting for this episode, so I'd know what to put on it. <laughs> so no pressure, Jacob, but I've got a Trello board open and waiting here, and I have no idea what I'm doing. Joe's end of the world plan relies on you. Oh, well, I'll try my best. <laughs> and access Trello. to my Trello her board. Very, her very survival. I have also now signed up to Trello and applying equal amounts of pressure, Jacob. I hope you're ready. I'm just, I'm finding the whole prepper thing very relatable. I'm thinking, I, hmm. I go shopping. And when I'm thinking about my weekly shop, I'll quite often think, you know, there's probably going to be a day this week where I don't particularly feel like cooking. I'm going to come home tired. It's going to be late. I'm going to have stuff to do. So I'm going to prepare for that. and I'm going to get myself a couple of ready meals. <laughs> and, you know, when I think about it, it's like I could quite happily go out those ready meals. But what if? That's a good point, because I buy instant noodles for the exact same reason. Tonight, for example, I knew I wasn't going to have time for a full dinner. I knew I had to cook something really quick, which I could just use a kettle for and then get out of the kitchen with. So I had instant noodles and I have a little cupboard of them ready for when I have to do this. So does that mean I'm prepared for the apocalypse? Actually, to be honest, noodles are a very good food. Really? Stock for the apocalypse, yes. but we'll I'm so we'll happy. Put it on the Trello board. <laughs> mm, <well>. I am. <laughs> Well, unfortunately, I don't have Trello board down under my <laughs> list of things to have, but I'll add that to it. I suppose it would be difficult. I mean, you're relying on internet access to be able to log yes. in to Trello. We are not at all sponsored by Trello. Other <laughs> time management tools are available. But if Trello wants to sponsor this, I'd be down with that. To get back to this kind of the difference between a survivalist and a prepper, because I think it's quite important to distinguish them and then immediately just use the terms interchangeably anyway first looking at a glance as a subculture it's like okay this is a bit hmm but i think now that we've suddenly quite rapidly rationalized it as something we all do in our day-to-day lives depending on severity i am very interested to know what a survivalist is if not something similar so a survivalist is a lot more of an individualist they want to go it alone it's kind of them against the world whereas a prepper it's more about forming a group or a community and kind of living with others the survivalist is ready for any scenario, so it's a real emphasis on kind of outdoors and wilderness training. It is your stereotypical guy in the forest with a gun. And so because it's outdoors, it's all about self-sufficiency, while a prepper, on the other hand, is a lot more about staying in one area, stockpiling, kind of preparedness rather than skill-based mindset that a survivalist has. It's interesting that you mentioned guns, because when I was at university, I had... Okay, I know this is lame, guys, but I think we can all admit this. We've been there. I had a zombie apocalypse survival plan. And there were times when I seriously considered 
where on earth am I going to get a gun from in this scenario? Yeah, guns definitely add something to prepping. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a they're very handy weapon if you're mm. up against like zombies, humans without guns. I just I would feel I think although I wouldn't feel safer with a gun in day to day life, I. I don't know. I feel like I would feel safer in an apocalypse scenario if I did have a gun. And I just, I'm very well aware that in England you can't get them. Is that something to do with our media based representations of what this scenario would look like? Almost because definitely, yeah. Everyone yes. has a gun. And actually, when you think about it, UK based, no, not everyone's going to have a gun. In fact, they're still probably going to be just as rare as, as they currently are for us. I think if we're going off post-apocalyptic films as inspiration, I would like to take from the cult classic Waterworld, where the only weapon you ever need on the seas is a boomerang. Oh, that's an interesting one. I don't think I could use a boomerang effectively, though. I oh, think no, ne- neither can I. <laughs> I would end up hurting myself very badly. Well, this is why you need to prep. See, there you <laughs> go, tie it back. But... Yeah, there does seem to be a big distinction in the media, especially, I guess, in the mindset as well. Because in America, with preppers, there seems to be almost like a pioneer spirit, a kind of Western kind of cowboy outlook Mm. on things compared to here, which is a lot more... I mean, here's a good example. With the English mindset, if someone was on a bus playing loud music, you probably wouldn't say anything. It's just, you tut, (laughs) roll your eyes. In America, they're much more likely to do something. This kind of mentality difference goes into the Americans being a lot more literally gung-ho in terms of prepping and survival. I have a theory that people from the UK would more likely be preppers yes. than people from the US who would tend to be more of the survivalist. Yes, I noticed that as well, actually. You, you think that is definitely the case then? I think so. The strange thing is, when you go on various forums and they have, are you a prepper or a survivalist? It's generally about 50-50. But then you've got to consider as well, part of the survivalist thing is, you know, having that wilderness access, having that place to build up those skills. Mm. Actually, when you think about it, I mean, the UK is a lot smaller than America. There's a lot fewer places where you could go and do that sort of thing in practice yeah. in your daily schedule. Where where would you go? Whereas we do have a lot of allotments, though. So I think that naturally inclines us towards the prepping side of things. Like, that's my plan. Honestly, that is my plan. If anything ever goes wrong... I'm going to find a nearby allotment, set up shop there, and just hunker down. I would take the classic British approach and just pretend it's all not happening and go about my (laughs) day-to-day business, even though there is nobody around. Also with America, I think you kind of need to learn survival skills because the environment is so varied. Mm. If you can survive up in the Peak District in England, you can basically survive anywhere in England. That's (laughs) true. It's very temperate, unless you're kind of, you know, off in the depths of Scotland somewhere. Yeah. Generally all right. In America, you've got deserts, you've got mountains, you've got mm. swamps, giant forests, basically jungles. It's, it's such a huge variety that you kind of need to know a bit of everything. That's a really good point. If you've ever been camping in the Lake Districts or Peak Districts, you probably have that moment of intense fear where you're obviously not prepared. I have had a sick experience where we have gone what I would describe as wild camping. Given how I am a city boy and I am soft and very, very sensitive to nature was taking up a hike up a mountain that we thought would only be a 10-minute walk, which turned out to be two hours, with only half our camping gear, sleeping through the night through the dead of cold with sheep all around us, with a, a small campment of two other people in a short distance. And it kind of made me think, okay, maybe I'm not set out for this. Maybe, you know, I might just keep this Swiss Army knife with me the entire night and spend the entire time worrying that this is where I die, this is where I die, this is where I die. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think encompasses most of Britain's attitude towards being ready for the end of the world. 
just to help out people who maybe are not English-based, who have never been to the Peak District, for reference, the highest point in the Peak District is a whopping 2,000 foot above sea level. Comparing that with the Rocky Mountains over in America, <laughs> the highest point in the Rocky Mountains would be 14,400 feet above sea level. So um, Whoa. that's the sort of difference we're looking at here when it comes to doing stuff in the UK. So the lesson is, if you really want to prepare for the apocalypse, just move to the UK. Yeah, we're very soft people. We're very civil. If you try to take our stuff, we'll be like, okay, fine, 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 fine. Not, pretend it's not happening. I wouldn't mind going somewhere really nice in the apocalypse, like go off to Greece or somewhere, just like hang out <laughs> on a beach. Like a half year holiday. Yeah. Actually, a really good place, or at least where the rich Silicon Valley people seem to go, is New Zealand. <gasps> That's an idea. Ooh. I was going to say, you know, there's got to be some rich people out there that have already sort of thought, let's invest into something big. Well, surprising that there is, because when you picture it, you picture the older middle class guy mm. doing this. But no, mm. there's, there seems to be a, a trend in recent years where you have people working in the Californian tech industry. So people high up in Facebook, Yahoo, Reddit, these kind of big tech companies, all of a sudden just seem to be very interested in it. The reasons range from quite normal things like it's California, it's on a tectonic plate, there's going to be a big earthquake. So I've got to prepare for that. That's fair enough. But some of them think that once robots take over more industries, <laughs> the jobless population are going to rise up and turn on the rich areas, which they're in. Wait, what? You say we're going to overthrow capitalism? It could be that, or it could just be because it's such a big tech industry and, oh, a robot's took my job and they're the tech guys. I'm going to go take them out. Hmm. That seems to be quite a real fear for some of them, despite the fact there's no evidence of this whatsoever. <laughs> it's like the reverse Terminator. Basically, yes. <laughs> and so you get these people spending hundreds of thousands buying gold and silver and investing in cryptocurrencies. And the money is safe. That's so funny, given how badly all those things are performing right now. I hope so <laughs> yeah, many yeah. people who are way too rich have lost millions. Oh, I'm sure they have. <laughs> I was going to say, if, if I was in a post-apocalyptic situation, the last thing on my mind would be, I need to murder this rich man. I won't lie, right? If I came across Mark Zuckerberg or the guy that made Twitter and it was an apocalypse scenario and we happened to meet in the field and everyone else was dead, I might try and kill him. I'm not saying I would, I'm just saying I might. Is it because of some kind of just general political statement against him or is it just because you can like, if it was any other famous person, would you do it just just to be... No, it's the fact that I hate them and <laughs> hate what they've done to me, just mm. personally. I'd be very careful, though, because we all know Mark Zuckerberg is a T-9000. That's Good true. Point. Mm, and, and secretly, when you sort of smack a bat across his face, he will turn his head to reveal that metallic skeleton, those glowing red eyes, and you realise, oh no... <laughs> It was right all along. That's like the scariest thing in the world. Can you imagine an apocalypse scenario where everyone else on the earth you think is dead? It's nighttime and you're in a field and you see a figure running towards you. And as it gets closer, you realize it's Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> and he's just got death beams in his eyes and he's coming for you. This sounds very similar to the Shia LaBeouf song. I was going to say, I <laughs> I'd love to see a movie where it's like post-apocalypse and it's Mark Zuckerberg versus Shia LaBeouf. 
It's funny we mention celebrities because having a little wee peek, there's actually quite a few unusual celebrities you'd never really think that are preppers. Some as a hobby and some kind of as like, I need this in my life because I seriously believe in this. Hmm. And I've accumulated a little bit of a list. Oh, it's exciting. Who's on hmm. the list then? So I'm going to go from most kind of like, eh, to, oh my God, I need this in my life because if I don't, I might die one day. <laughs> so we all know Bill Gates. The man who yep. owns all of the world. He's kind of on the lowest tier of level because he's currently heavily invested in what is called the Seed Vault, which with people who aren't aware of is a vault hidden away that is like disaster proof. And then when the world ends, we've got a stash of seeds. But it's not really that interesting because it's more or less seeds. However, he's also invested in his own particular town called Bemoth in America, which people supposedly believe is his uh, future kingdom that he's going to one day build when the entire world collapses. I'm not really sure if that puts him at the top of the list or the bottom of the list, but it's a little bit, hmm. A second down on this list of people who are kind of, I'm going to kind of pull into a ballpark if they do it as a hobby, is our good friend and famous actor Nathan Fillion. Wait, really? And yeah, Nene is a very big, he loves it as a hobby. He's kind of, it's justified his own particular interest in welding and woodwork that he's now tailored purely to this. What really sort of astounded me is that Zoe Dachanel is also equally in that bandwidth. What? Yeah. She describes herself as the kind of person that preps for every occasion to the point where she will literally not go out of the house unless she is in clothing that she can define as easily equipped for running and surviving in. Whoa. That's cool. That is pretty cool. But none of those really <laughs> amount to my following on guests of this list, which again may turn some heads. Who here's a fan of Halloween? Of course. Who here is a fan of Jamie Lee Curtis? Yes. yes. Who here knows that Jamie Lee Curtis is secretly a big prepper? No. What? Mm -hmm. Woman was spending too much time running away from Hollywood horror. She thought to herself, I need to know how to survive. Which I guess makes sense, really. Yeah. If you can survive Hollywood, you can probably survive most things. Mm, exactly. Just knives and potato peelers. It's quite interesting. She's got a video where she talks about uh, her survivalist gear. Because it makes sense. She lives in a what is described as an earthquake country. So she's quite savvy to this. But what kind of really threw me was she has her own little custom list of things you want to put in your survivalist box. The list, obviously, the kind of more basic things, food, water, shovels, lights. But what really threw me was a family photo. And she describes this as in a dire situation, you just want to show the kids their family. That's a bit grim. It's prepping for the future, isn't it? It's, I don't know if you've ever seen, oh, what's it called now? Ring of Fire? I think it's an average film. I really enjoyed it, but overall I think it rates quite averagely on the critics' scales. But the scene I remember from the very start of that is there's a couple of people reenacting Star Wars on the stage for the children, like <laughs> passing down the stories and stuff, and it's, oh. it's a similar line to that, isn't it? I know this film it is a surprisingly good film for dragons. There needs to be more dragon-based preppers. Mm, well, exactly. I mean, what happens when we prepare with our bunkers and suddenly it's like, oh, no, we were wrong. It was dragons. Dragons <laughs> and giant people eating The dragon other. apocalypse. No. God. I'm looking at this whole prepper thing and going, the reason that we don't have it is quite a big thing in the UK as America probably is because of, you know, circumstances. You see in America, there's a lot more natural disasters. It's a much bigger area. You've got Tornado Valley. You've got many more earthquake-ridden places. Mm. We don't have that in the UK, so we don't prep for it. And I'm guessing once you start prepping, it's very easy to go into those sort of next stages. And then you've got bunks and stuff for nuclear prepping, because that's the current age we live in. 
has prepping changed over the years? Could we go back to the start of time? Were there cavemen preppers? Actually, could have been. Because when you think about religion, every single religion has some sort of idea of doomsday. So mm. if you look at and then the Norse mythology, you have the Ragnarok in Christianity, it's Judgment Day. So technically, you could say from the dawn of time, there has been preppers of some kind. I think you're forgetting the most ultimate of all preppers, the Egyptians, who not only decided that they were going to be buried with all their wealth in a giant stone hut, but all their servants too. That is actually the ultimate prepperism. Um, <laughs> I, I, think, I think we need to be careful we don't start encouraging a whole new generation of preppers in America that start burying themselves with all their uh, guns and ammunition. Generation Y, burying themselves with accessible internet and Fortnite. You say that, but actually preppers are kind of at an all-time high right now, or at least since the 70s. And is that because of climate change, or is that because of like the media telling more of a terrifying story about how everything is terrible, or it's, more access to supplies, or what? It's kind of a mix of everything, mm. because at least back in the 70s, when it was at the all-time high, you had, obviously, the Cold War, the Cuban Missile Crisis was in 62, you had you know Russia and America at each other's throats, and so you had kind of the nuclear aspect of it, and then also in the 70s, there was an oil crisis, which then... People started worrying about what if fuel runs out, and then that kind of changed. And so nowadays, it's kind of a mix of everything. Well, it's funny because I've got, well, not really an example, but a lot of people prepped uh, during Y2K in fear that the machines would one day rise up and destroy us all when the computers go back to zero and the world economy will shut down. Yes, if you actually remember 2000, that was a massive issue. So imagine how big it is now, mm. the fact that, Everything's so much more tied together. Well, I was going to say, there's a man in Texas called Mr. Clyde Scott who sells bomb shelters who apparently reported a 2,000% increase in profits during the most recent presidential election. <laughs> that's, uh, that's really scary and also kind of makes sense given who profits. Well, like, I know Alex Jones... He advertises a lot of those kind of weird supplement pills, doesn't he? And like he occasionally advertises apocalypse buckets and stuff. I wonder mm. if you can track the profit correlations between these sorts of products and every single one of Donald Trump's tweets. Oh, oh my god. Oh. Man posts about something that he thinks is a meme, but it isn't a meme. Suddenly buckets go up in price. You kind of can, in a way, because it seems to be, obviously you have the Trump election and also Obama previously. There was a jump mm. in kind of sale of things. Obviously, with Obama, you had conservatives thinking he's going to kill everyone. <laughs> and now Trump's in, you have liberals thinking he's going to kill everyone. So there is quite a jump. And you can actually see it in the stats, because there's a survey done, and it was asking people, have you bought survival things recently, kind of survival supplies? And 5.15% said that they bought survival equipment because of political events that happened in the last couple of years. Wow. Mm. It's strange. For some reason, government seems to be a big deal with preppers. Mm. I mean, if you look at the Cold War, for example, the amount of people... Well, then again, you think Second World War, Cold War, Trump... Any aspect of war just makes people think, let's bunker up, guys, in case shit hits the fan. One thing that seems to tie preppers and survivalists together is this kind of distrust of the government mm. which i think obviously in america it's kind of hard baked into the society because of course america was founded on fighting our government <laughs> and you have the second amendment which is supposed to give people a way to overthrow tyrannical governments mm. 
the very society is built on I don't fully trust you. Oh, so you're saying that within this culture there's secretly a case of, well, I don't trust I don't trust humans. Humans are idiots. Yes. Actually there is. Yeah, that kind of makes sense because I do kind of think I trust people on an individual basis, but like humanity as a whole, I'm not sure I have much faith in. Mm. Love thy neighbour, but from a safe distance. <laughs> <laughs> All you really have to do is look at the Fast and Furious films to see the true aspect of how dark and devious human beings can get. <laughs> we will stop at nothing and at no level to get what we want until everything we hold sacred is gone. <laughs> yeah, because this is really built into it. This concept of the Golden Horde. Have you ever heard of this before? What? No, I've never heard of the Golden Horde. So the term itself is the name of an old Mongolian empire from the 13th century. So you can sort of see the imagery that they're kind of conjuring up here. Right. Of kind of like raiders and barbarians. And basically it's the concept of when society breaks down, the Golden Horde will be people from the cities, built up areas who push out into the countryside and basically act like locusts and just take everything. And they'll overrun your shelter and kill you and shoot the place up. When I first saw this on like, you know, a list of terms, I thought, come on, no one really believes that. No one's going to say, oh, the Golden Horde is coming. But they do, mm. which is strange. What? Two minutes later, looking at a forum post, someone said, I need to be ready for the Golden Horde. Such a real <laughs> belief that they have. So how do you actually prepare for the Golden Horde? The thing that seems to be kind of held up as law is when shit hits the fan, you've got your kind of shelter built, you have to be at least 300 miles away from urban areas. And can you take a guess why? Well, given living in a city currently right now, I, I can guess that on a daily basis, let alone when society just hits the fan, you're going to get murdered up. Yeah, so you have to get 300 miles away, because 300 miles is generally how far you can get on a tank of gas. Oh. So if you can be further away than 300 miles, they can't get to you, and you will be safe. Wow, okay. Mm. That makes sense. So where would the ideal place be in the UK, you reckon? I mean, between us guys, you know, where would it be to, to hide out? Well, we're kind of at a loss here, because England's not that big. So trying to go 300 miles from any city is going to be very difficult for us. Probably talking an island off the coast of Scotland at that point. I wouldn't mind the Isle of Man. That could work. Mm. Or at least in America. One state that normally comes up is Idaho. Why Idaho? Because it's a low population farming region, so there's not many people there, and there's not much infrastructure. Mm. Okay, that's good. That kind of reinforces my plan. My plan was mm. to go to Lincolnshire. Lincolnshire oh. would be good. For the exact same reason. It's got like lots of farming areas, but it's not that full. It's not very urbanised. Yes. So that's the plan then. We're all going to go to Lincoln after the apocalypse. Yeah. I was going to say, it's got a whopping big castle uh, yes! slap bang in the middle. Exactly. You've got a great vantage point from mm. Steep Hill. <laughs> Best place to go down on a baking tray. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's actually quite an interesting thing as well, because looking at building up your own retreat, your kind of safe place you're going to go, a lot of the books, especially after the 70s, started taking inspiration from European castles mm. in their design. Again, so if the Golden Horde comes, you need to have, you know, you could have a parapet or like almost like a castle wall ready to defend yourself against them. That makes sense. I would I'd feel safer with a wall around me, I think. Oh, definitely. And so there's talks, there's books, there's anything you can think of on how to defend yourself and how to build kill rooms and stuff. Kill rooms? Yeah, or like how to build arcing 
like you know you have special windows so you can shoot people when they can't hit you as a child i was very much enthralled with the idea of castle design and it all goes back to that sort of medieval this is how you protect your your space there's entire schools of engineering around getting the right angles out your window so that you can easily see but not really I mean, that's why arrow arrow slits in castles are so narrow but they had that same that sort of sloping outwards appearance because you get really good angles, but you're still a really narrow target. Yeah, but then got to consider that's going back thousands of years for, well, hundreds of years for us. And it's something that we don't really think about in the UK anymore. As far as I'm aware, anyway, I don't know of anyone who even considers that sort of thing on the houses. No, it, it definitely seems more of an American thing. But I guess mm. that comes back to guns as well. So there's much more of a need to have a strong kind of almost bunker to make sure you actually survive. To make sure your guns have great field of fire, because it's a it's an area where other people are going to have guns. So, like, as a subculture of people, is there any I don't know? Do people meet up and discuss their sort of survival tactics, or I don't know? Is it kind of very secretive in that terms of I'm not telling you my secrets, my bunker? You're gonna bust on in and steal all my good shit. Not really, to be honest. It's they seem to be very open about it. Oh, um, so obviously there's various sites both. UK-based, American-based, kind of all across the world, sites telling you how to do certain things. There's various forums, there's meetups, there's conventions. It's almost like a community. I wonder. In a way. Oh. I wonder if that's got something to do with the whole anonymity versus you know actually knowing someone. It's but the Golden Horde. Going back to it, that that Golden Horde is a very faceless entity. But the mm. moment you start talking to someone, they have a face. They're not part of that Golden Horde. You're one of us. I can see you and speak to you. So you're one of us, so you're my friend now, and I'm happy to share whatever you want. I don't know, I always found with looking at celebrities, it was always Conan O'Brien who was the guy who sort of really pulled that out of people. It seems to be he's the only one who ever talks about it, or people's hobbies. That makes me believe that secretly Conan is ready to kind of like raid these people's homes and their bunkers when he's found out all the information he's secretly scrawling under his desk as he interviews them. When he thinks, hey, if I need a place to survive, I don't need to prep anything. I'm just going to steal that guy's stuff. I mean, he is quite spiderish. He could probably just climb through the smallest <laughs> of windows. Yeah, I think a large part of it as well, just looking at the sheer amount of money that people pay towards this kind of stuff, I think it's almost essentially a lifestyle or an image. I mean, it would have to be, right? I can't really see. Unless you're very wealthy, I don't know how it could just be a hobby. Again, it, it goes back to the whole circumstance idea, so... It is a lifestyle, like, if you were living in somewhere that was like to have earthquakes, it would be part of your lifestyle that you prepare for earthquakes. And for these people, I'm guessing the threat of whatever they think is coming is part of their lifestyle, just as you chose to live somewhere there's going to be forest fires. Okay, so you're prepared mm-hmm. for fire at your door any second. It's, mm-hmm. it's a mindset I suppose you get yourself into, but once it's there, it's very much a part of your life. This is going to happen at any moment. It could do, and that's what they believe. So after hearing and sort of looking at all the kind of more rational beliefs of why people have done this, I think this, if anything, this episode has justified that it's not a bad idea. I mean, Christ, I'm even thinking about looking at, hey, what if I get a few extra nice things in case everything goes horribly wrong in an urban environment? But, you know, what is there any case of extreme, you know, people have gone to an utter mental extent of survivalist and doomsday prepper? There is. I mean, just looking at shows such as Doomsday Preppers or Naked and Afraid, you know, those kind of <laughs> kind of out there shows where it shows the most extreme. There definitely is. They're obviously not the majority, but they're the ones that people kind of notice or they're the ones that people kind of have the stereotype of. Mm. I think as well, it's probably quite easy to fall into. 
if you get the notion that you have to prepare for something, you start preparing, you talk to people who are also preparing. Mm. You start to, you look at the news and you start to read things into the news of, okay, this is happening now. Instant judgment is the guy like, fuck this, I'm getting to the bunker. Yeah, it's kind of like a self-perpetuating cycle, which then leads to situations where a good example for this would be, remember in 2012, we had the Mayan stuff. Yes. Oh, yeah. The Mayan calendar. People were selling everything to buy bunkers or safe spaces <laughs> or kind of like, you know, like a retreat oh, and wow. just live there and just wait for the apocalypse. I honestly, if I was rich enough, I would have a bunker and I'm not even sure I would have it for like apocalyptic reasons or end of the world scenarios and more just like, I'd like a super private zone I could just hang out in and play video mm. games. Well, the thing is you can buy them. You can buy bunkers and they're, well, reasonable as a bunker can be. How reasonable is that in the UK? Well, this is an American site, but they do do installations in the UK. So it is in dollars, but this is roughly what it would be. So building just a panic room, like as like a new thing on your house, is between 6,000 and 17,000. Holy crap. Converting a room to a panic room is 30 grand. Okay. Because you have to kind of reinforce the walls and add bits in. And I suppose you're working within a limited space as well, aren't you? You can't just build yes. a new area. They offer almost like package deals and full bunkers. Oh my god. I'll give you two examples. An 8 by 12 bunker, which has one room, a mini kitchen, toilet, bunk bed, an air filtration system, and a TV-DVD combo. Very fancy. You're looking Ooh. about 40 grand. Whoa! Jeez. Holy hell. Yeah, and that's like a small one. And then if you want a 20 by 20, where you get two rooms with walk-in closets, a living... (laughs) Priorities, you know? I mean, it's the apocalypse. We're not going to see anyone because all humanity has died. But I do need my two walk-in closets or else, Mm. you know, I I won't cope. Sometimes you've just got to vogue, vogue, vogue in the moment, right? The thing I'm thinking here, right, is you were talking about allotments earlier on. An allotment can be a fairly decent size and usually rent them for very cheap. What you need to do is find out when the owner of the land is away for a bit, have him come around, dig up your entire allotment, 40 mm. grand, you've got your bunker down there, rebuild the allotment on top of it, disguise the entrance, you've got your bunk set up, you've got your allotment, you're ready to go, you could live in it in the meantime, 40 grand's a lot cheaper than a house. Mm, That's true. You will be living with bare necessities, though. I don't think you're very comfy. Oh, the bare necessities. Exactly, then you would exactly. learn to adapt, you'd pick up the skills to live in such an environment. Yeah, I mean, you could actually build one on an allotment because on this site, they do emphasise that they have hundreds of ways of keeping <laughs> building your bunker secret, even if it's in a public area. Oh, wow. I, I like the advertisement so in hundreds of ways. Like if I had a small sort of semi-detached house that will somehow sneak in this long metal tube somehow into <laughs> my small garden and be like, yeah, it's just a heating thing. Don't worry about it, guys. Where do you think... Th- the most obnoxious and best location for a secret underground bunker would be in the UK? Uh, middle of a roundabout somewhere. Oh. That would be pretty good. Ooh. I'd have one that is in the middle of a Nando's. <laughs> and then I'd just I'd hide in there during peak Nando's time and then I'd pop up, nick a couple of burgers, some good chicken, take it down to my bunker. I'd probably have it in a library because then no one could say anything because you'd just go, Ooh. shh. <laughs> So we just talking about the best place to suddenly just decide, I'm going to construct one here. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I mean, they say they can do it in public spaces discreetly. So let's put that to the test. 
I like to see if I propose 10 Downing Street, just yes. right slap bang in the middle and just see what they say. Or you could go beneath the Houses of Parliament and go Ooh. proper like uh, Guy Fawkes. One thing that is kind of, I wouldn't say sketchy, but slightly odd is in the FAQ section, it says, can you help me get planning permission to put this in? And I said, yeah, of course, we'll happily help you with that. Also, we will not ask for proof that you have planning permission. <laughs> Whoa. Oh. That's so sneaky. Also, how upsetting would it be if you came home one day and found like a secret door leading to the ground and then you opened it up and there's this whole bunker down there with like maybe a little town living beneath your house <laughs> and you had absolutely no idea. I'd feel quite satisfied. Because if I found a secret door in my home and decided to go down it, I'd fear that this is where I die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but knowing that this is where I get to live whilst everything else dies gives me a very strong feeling of belief. So earlier I mentioned the Golden Horde, but there's an absolute ton of terms that go into this. It makes reading the forum sometimes quite difficult because there's just so many different acronyms and things. So I thought it'd be good just to run through a couple of them. Ooh, yes, please. Is this going to be like yes. a guessing game? Ooh, yes. Yes, it can be. Yes, please. And you can play along at home. <laughs> so we've got Golden Horde. What do you think the term alpha strategy is? Alpha strategy? Is it like a leader role? I imagine it being like your... like If you have like an A plan and a B plan, I imagine it being your A plan. Would it be your A... So you could have an A plan, a B plan, and a C plan. A is the most achievable, but maybe C is the one that is the golden goal. Like... It's not likely to be able to be achievable, but if everything falls into place, that's the one I want to happen. Is it the strategy that you tell people is what you're going to do come this kind of situation, but you secretly don't just to throw them? Mm, well, no. The alpha strategy... <laughs> of course, I give you the hardest one at the start. The alpha strategy is based on a book, which is you store extra supplies. So that could be food, water, ammunition and use them as bartering when society collapses. Ooh. Okay. Because obviously money won't mean anything, but supplies will. <laughs> if you've ever played Fallout, for instance, you know, it's that kind of thing. Mm. Actually, there's, have you ever played the Metro games? Yes, in Metro, exactly. there's better set of bullets that you can use in your weapons to do more damage to enemies, making the game easier, but they are also your currency. Oh. That basically is the alpha strategy. You have supplies that you only use as currency. So I better start vastly collecting cheese in the odd case that it all goes yes. to shit. What do you think SHTF stands for? We've said S that a couple of times already. SHTF. Shut the front door. Shelter. No, I can't even think of the second letter. <laughs> <laughs> Shelter Hostiles. Thomas. Fred. No. Oh, you're so close. Oh, it's... oh. It's when shit hits the fan. Ah, shit hits ah. the fan. It's a foobar situation. Essentially, yeah. There seems to be a lot of terms for this. You've also got T-E-O-T-W-A-W-K-I. So not only have they prepped for the sake of the world going to end, they've prepped for the sake when the world ends and society has come up with its own meme acronyms for things. Yeah. Hmm. So you've got when shit hits the fan, you've got the end of the world as we know it. <laughs> <laughs> This is a very light-hearted side to the subculture we're seeing here. Yeah, it's kind of strange, really, because you're just shortening the concept of everyone dying. <laughs> just super casual, just another day. Another day in the life of a survivalist prepper. This, mm. is, uh, this is what we've been expecting to happen. It's, it's overdue, if anything, in their mind. 
They just think, oh, look at that guy. Loafers. <laughs> He's not going to be able to run away from anyone with those. <laughs> and how about this one? FEMA. F-E-M-A. F-E-M-A. I feel I've heard that one before, but I can't think. It is a American agency, but it also means something else. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure. Officially, it's the Federal Emergency Management Agency, where you get the concept of FEMA camps and stuff from. Okay. okay. So this is an actual organization in America where, say there's a hurricane or a flood, these are the people that go in and sort things out. Ooh. However, if you're a prepper, it means foolishly expecting meaningful aid. Oh. <gasps> Sassy. Cause they, yeah, because so, again, they don't, they don't trust the government. So, yeah, so the idea is there is no backup system. You have to be totally self-reliant because you cannot assume the government will ever help you in this situation. Yes. Hmm. yes. One of the things they point to, which I saw quite a lot, is... You don't want to be in the Superdome. If you remember back to... Is this Hurricane Katrina? It is Hurricane Katrina, yeah. Yeah, I remember this. The Superdome was a big, I think, football or maybe baseball stadium, which a lot of people got kind of herded into by FEMA and by the government. And there was violence there. There was not many supplies. They were there for months. And so they take it as a very good example of this is the best the government can do. Oh, wow. You don't want to be there. Do your thing. (laughs) <laughs> Holy hell. I mean, that does make sense, but I don't know. I, I think I'd, I'd flock to something like that. Though, seeing the photos now, I'd, I'd instantly change my mind. It involves a lot of people. I think in a dire situation, the last thing I want to see or hear from is people. I'm not sure. I don't know. I think I'd be happy to see people, but it's such a difficult thing, because I feel like I've watched so many movies that maybe not. Maybe I'd just be so paranoid that everyone's out to kill me, hmm. because that's what TV and movies always make out. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you talk about, like, the government's going to kill us all or the world's just going to decide to have a superstorm, but, you know, what would be your ideal movie post-apocalyptic situation be? Because it's a very big theme in films. And I think, you know, who here is preparing for dragons? Because I'd <laughs> like to know, in like, if you had to prepare for one thing or one situation, what would it be? I'm very tempted to just make it dragons now. I really love that <laughs> film. Oh, yeah. And I think, I think it's very underdone. I'd like to hear a dragon apocalypse plan. Oh god, I need a dragon apocalypse. Well, first of all, bunkers aren't going to be great because the dragons are sentient, obviously. They know how to get through doors. They're big creatures. If you're in a bunker, they're just going to roast the entire inside and reach them there and eat whatever's whatever's left over. So you need to be mobile in a dragon apocalypse, I think. You need to be good at hiding, but you need to be mobile. You should avoid caves. Avoid all gold or money or jewels. Avoid mountains. Because they're all strengths of a dragon. Ha, you yes. fools, you're opposing our new overlords. I embrace them. I will come to them with all my gold and be leaders to this new world. Please, my masters, please spare me. <laughs> and if I don't instantly perish there and end my suffering, then I will live as as a thing for a greater being. <laughs> if I remember rightly from the film, it was all castles and harpoons, and that was how you get by in a dragon apocalypse. That's a very underrated film. I think back to it and you think that's a very good post-apocalyptic film that someone said, let's throw dragons at it. And it's got a very believable and understandable story towards it. Would you say believable, though? Well, I mean, yeah, dragons. But they referred to, like, you know, culture, farming and agriculture, how their sort of hierarchy works. And you think to stuff like, what's that new one with, um, that's like Geostorm. Where someone oh, just yes. builds this mega satellite that just changes the weather, and then something goes horribly wrong, and we cause our own destruction. Or, I mean, just go back to Waterworld, where everything's absolutely destroyed, yet yeah, there's still enough places for people to 
find food and everything's not just rusted through they seem to be able to maintain boats and paper's super rare but they seem to be smoking every day <laughs> hmm. speaking about dragons and the fantasy element there's kind of an organization that kind of supports that in a way if you've ever heard of zombie squad before no zombie squad is that is that like the holiday kind of like a, a trip a group outing where you can go and reenact a zombie apocalypse it's a prepper organization a kind of disaster preparedness organization that uses the metaphor of a zombie apocalypse to kind of get people to think about okay say there's a zombie apocalypse what would you do how would you prepare for it and so they use that as a way to make people think actually maybe i should have a supply of this maybe i should you know have my medicine cabinet locked up it's quite wild to me that they are more happy to prepare for zombies than they are for <laughs> like say climate change scenarios mm. they're just using zombies as a way to make people kind of get <laughs> it's not a derogatory term because i was wondering about like people who are prepping for for natural disasters or prepping for wars what do they think of people mm. who do the zombie prepping well there's a strange thing here because you have the zombie squad which is fine but also zombie is used as a derogatory term at the same time, it's a strange make. Mm. I've just googled zombie squad, and the first thing that's come up is zombie squad. Serious business. And there's a guy in the front of the photo kitted out with full body armor, but with spiked wrist guards and studded knee pads. Well, I mean, you never know. Serious business, guys. I mean, this guy looks like, no rip on this guy, but looks like a very poor attempt of like a Reaper cosplay. Well, I don't know. I think they they sort of provide a good service. It's edutainment, shall we say. Mm. Who are you going to trust? The guy with the tinfoil hat and the gun saying, oh, you got to prepare. Or the guy who's dressed like that going, hey, zombie apocalypse, why don't you think about this? Why don't you have, mm. you make sure you've got food just in case something happens. That is a very fair point. Speaking of food, I do feel it's important for us to do a quick segue into apocalypse buckets. Oh, yes, please. Because this is something that I have been fascinated with for quite some time. And it's kind of like, it's like a car accident or something. Like you can't look away, but also it makes you kind of feel sick and hate yourself to witness it with your own eyes. But there's this whole community among survivalists and preppers, I would assume, interchangeably, of owning things called apocalypse buckets, which is basically a massive plastic bucket full of slop that you eat in case of the world ending. Now, is this kind of like an entire solid bucket of just open slop? Because that's how I'd like to imagine it. <laughs> like no, it's the horse feeder. You basically buy like 20 buckets, say, or more. You probably are supposed to buy like 200. And they're huge, and they each come with like different things in them. So you could get like a mac and cheese apocalypse bucket, and it's just all pre-made. Oh. You have to have a special tool to open them, and to keep them fresh, you have to have a special thing called a gamma lid. And some of them aren't even self-contained meals; they're elements of meals. So, like, say so you might want to make so gross, you might want to make burritos. <laughs> so you get one bucket full of like inverted commas mince meat. You might get one full of like fake cheese topping, one full of like fake guacamole, and then you kind of slop them all together to make the worst meal in the world. Ooh. I've just Googled Apocalypse Bucket and I added a big white thing, terrible label on the front, and the picture of the meals. This is what throws me on these because they've obviously got slop, slop with bits in, slop with bits in and rice, <laughs> dry slop, but then next to that mm. they've suddenly got burger. With, with, <laughs> With sweet potato fries and salad. 
That sounds nice. That's a premium mm. bucket. I see. It goes from his general slop at the minimum you need to survive to a gourmet meal. Ooh. They're so expensive as well. They're like $200 what? for a bucket what? of slop. And it looks so gross. Listeners at home, I beg you, Google Apocalypse Buckets. If you can find the video by Vic Berger about Pastor Jim Backer, <gasps> watch that. It's horrifying. It will ruin food for you forever. At the same time, we're talking about, you know, everyday prepping. You're going shopping in the middle of the week. You're buying stuff that's going to be easy. What's easier than a bucket of slop? Just get your trough out, pour it in. <laughs> I guess at the end of the world, you, just, you can't really afford to be picky. But I'm just seeing screenshots of people who are eating this stuff and literally throwing up. Oh, God. it's so gross. I mean, that's basically what it looks like. <laughs> someone has already eaten it, vomited it up and put it in the bucket. It goes out the way it comes in. <laughs> I'm on the review page now, and I've noticed a pattern here. Mm-hmm. Uh, five stars. Thank goodness we haven't used it yet. <laughs> five stars. Thankfully, we've not had to use this yet. However, blah, blah, blah. This item is just described. We haven't used it yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, is that technically a proper review if you've not tested the product? Not really. Five stars. Mm. Haven't watched the film. but again i think this ties into this kind of you're buying into it in a way Mm. i'd like to think people like our good friend nene and zoe also must have these for the sake of the novelty factor but i feel i almost kind of want one not but at the same time i don't want to give this terrible man money but i kind of want to suffer a little bit just to see if the world does end is it worth surviving if i get to eat this for the rest of my life exactly that's the thing i just don't think Life's not good enough for that. Mm. I don't enjoy living enough to have to eat Apocalypse Bucket slop for the rest of my existence. I would rather die. In a dire post-apocalyptic scenario, what would be your plan? What would be your game Your game plan of, you know, what to do? But next that, what kind of situation would you prepare for? Hmm. I think the only one I really could prepare for is a zombie apocalypse, because that's the only one I've actually given any proper thought to, and I feel so lame even saying that. But I was 18, you know, when zombies were cool. You know, it was mm. it was cool in 2007 to like zombies and prepare for the apocalypse of zombies. So that's the only one I'm at all even considered about. I, what I would do is I would, I would travel to Lincoln. In fact, I would specifically travel to a place within Lincolnshire called Woodhall Spa where there is a gun shop. There's a hunting gun shop on the corner. I would go there, I would stockpile guns and knives and useful tools and rope. I would stockpile food from the nearest supermarket. I'm assuming at this point it's the apocalypse. Most people are dead. I'm just going to rob my way through the world. I will then find myself an allotment somewhere in in Lincoln City, I reckon, because of the hill. Mm. Set up Somewhere up to the top of the hill where I've got a good view, maybe up in the castle itself if it's not already been used. Grow some fruit and vegetables so I can look after myself. I'd I'd try and team up with other people, I think, more than the survivalist aspect of just, oh, I'm just on my own. I'm out for me and no one else. Yeah, I mean, everyone talks about a lone wolf, but they don't really realise that the metaphor of a lone wolf is one that dies very quick. True. Pack animal, but yet let's base ourselves off the single pack animal that dies on its own. Go team! <laughs> so Jake, how would you prepare then, and what would you prepare for? Oh god, you see, after this conversation, and after looking at this bucket, I feel 
my preparation would just be for a quick and very delightful end, which would start with finding a winery where I can find several expensive bottles of port, because I imagine, you know, once shit hits the fan, no one's going to start caring about protecting their fan wines. Locking myself in there with what I can only describe as a fuckton of Big Mac meals, and just seeing how long I last before thinking, you know what, I'm good. Bam. Well, I, I think I imagine the cheese and the wine and the, the McDonald's will probably kill me first. But I'd like just to go out in a blazer glory because I can imagine a world where I'd have to consider that bucket meal as a feasible way to live. What concerns me there, though, Jake, is you're saying fine wines and cheeses, people would have other priorities. But I mean, you don't have other priorities. So what's the type of people going for your priorities? You said earlier on that they would be one of your preferred methods of currency. You might actually come mm. across quite a bit of resistance going that route. I like to assume that if they're equally going down the vineyard of death like myself, we'd just have a bit of a party. I think I would too, to be honest. I, I think I'm the sort of person, realistically, if I found out there was going to be like a nuclear bomb or the end of the world, I think most likely I would invite everyone around to my house, play some board games, drink a lot, <laughs> and we'd just all party our ways out of existence and just accept the fact that we're going to die, but we're going to have a great time going. It makes me think, Shaun of the Dead, as a story, had the best plan of just go to the pub and wait for it all to, and wait for it all to blow over. <laughs> or you blow up. It one or the other. I must admit, I'd hate to die in a pub. That's the worst place I could think of to die. Hmm. On the toilet. No, I'd rather die in the toilet than in a pub. Ah, uh, well, I guess... Although a pub toilet would be worse. Ooh, no. No one wants to die there. It's like dying at a sort of marketing conference. It's just the one place you think to yourself, my life can't amount to this. How about you, Ben? What would be your uh, plan of action if all ben things go for dragons. I've, I've got dragons down. Yeah. If I had to prepare for one thing, it'd definitely be for the when they take Mobikes away from Manchester City Centre. It's which, done. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've already got my wineries and cheese vineyards sorted out. This is how it starts. Jacob, how would you prepare and what would you prepare for? Well... I'm quite lucky because I live in quite a rural area. Compared to you guys who live in Manchester, I'm quite good in a way. Yeah, Manchester's so, like the last place you would want to be. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty great. <laughs> I'm Lincolnshire, so I'm in Joe's mm. prime location already. Oh, I'm just heading to you then. Lucky masses. Well, I'm now I feel more secure in picking the quick route out because at this point I'm kind of like, oh, fuck it. <laughs> Jake, you can journey with me to Lincoln. We'll be a team. Yay. I think that sounds like a great start to a uh, disaster comedy. A journey yeah. from Manchester <laughs> to Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're on theme tune four we'll hours by car <laughs> oh and that's if the roads ain't clogged and that's before the apocalypse yeah. hey <laughs> yeah so because there's lots of farmland i would probably go to a farm hold up and try to grow and kind of half survive yeah if possible despite the fact i've got no idea how to grow crops <laughs> but i'm sure i could learn alternative i get a hockey mask and some leather pants, and I become Lord Humongous ah. from Mad Max 2. Mm. Those are two, I mean, 50-50, either way. You could do both. You could do gardening why and not? leather pants. Yeah, why not? You could be the, the road warrior hot. of the M6. I suppose that's, we're talking at the moment about, you know, disaster scenarios and surviving. What that sounds like to me is not surviving, that's thriving. <laughs> <laughs> I've got my leather pants on, I'm ready to take on the end of the world and make it my bitch. It's yeah, the assumption that we are competent human beings to somehow take over the world. Actually, that seems to be a thing which is consistent with prepping. It's the idea of we can make it. Despite the fact it's looking at the end of the world or massive disasters, there's a very positive outlook on things. Hmm. That's yeah. something quite nice to take away from it. 
It is really, yeah. It's whatever happens, no matter how bad the world gets, humanity or people will survive and we'll carry on. Will we, though? Well, let's hope. So we've got zombies in Lincoln. Actually, Ben, yeah, what was, what was your... Dragons. Dra- we've got dragons dra- also in dra- Lincoln. <laughs> dragons in Lincoln. Jacob the Road Warrior and a dead Jake in, in the bottom of a vineyard with a big <laughs> smile on his face and, a, and just stuffed full of cheese. I think we're quite ready now for, for the end of the world. <laughs> do, do, don't you guys agree? I, think I, I feel we know yeah. enough now to just think we can take it on. I'm just going to cook loads of food in advance and put it in a bucket, keep it for 20 years. I assume that's all you have to do. Yeah, it'll slop itself over time. Especially if it's noodles. Mm. I imagine noodles, they'd go away for slop quite quickly. Oh yeah, easy. You just have to leave them in for an extra 15 minutes. Just becomes a solid paste. <laughs> How about to close this out, I will give you a few stats, kind of tie everything together. Oh yes, please. It's estimated between 3 to 5 million Americans are what you would consider a proper prepper. That's a, that's a big number. Like, How many people live in America now? A lot. You're looking at about 300-something million? Jesus. So that's what, 3%? 325 million people live in America. That is a lot of people. To show you how big the general idea of a prepper is, there's a survey done of 2,000 people and they extrapolated the data, so obviously it's not going to be exact. 65.5% of Americans have either recently bought or already have some form of survival equipment. So they're way more prepared than us. Are we just like slacking it's, in the I, Again, I reckon it's all geographic. They have to be prepared because they mm. live in much more extreme conditions. Of course, it depends on what they count as a survival equipment. Because if you've got a gun or a first aid kit, does that count? Mm, I've got a slow cooker here. Is that technically prepper standard? You're the most prepped person in the world. <laughs> I had a plunger once. Prepping <laughs> for many a scenario with that. When it comes to men and women, they're roughly the same. That's interesting. Yeah. This found that about 39.5% of women and 35.6% of men have some sort of survival equipment to them at all times. And when you look at other kind of things like that, it differs just a few percentage either way. I mean, our good Um, friends Zoe Dachanel and Jamie Lee Curtis as prime examples. Looking at, in terms of generational, 38% of millennials, (laughs) 31% of Gen X, and only 17% of baby boomers have purchased equipment recently. However, 41% of boomers haven't bought things because they already have them. Oh. <laughs> it was a different time. Yeah, well, growing up in the 60s and the 70s where you've got old mean Russia That's true. I can yeah. see why. All mm. those wars, and your parents mm. as well that have been through all those yes. wars. Do any of your parents have any kind of like weird preppy tendencies? Like, Have any of them prepared in any weird over-the-top way like this because like my parents for example are mostly self-sufficient because they are gardeners as their job and they they basically have very few expenses so my parents i think would be a lot more prepared for the apocalypse than i would be i think taking after my parents taken before me would equally have very little chance we've got a nail gun i think that's as far as we go other than that very a lot of fine wines I think as a family, it's a kind of go-out-guns-blazing scenario. <laughs> Sorry, Mum. My family has quite a lot of chickens, so at least <gasps> in that aspect. Yeah, got I mean, we, we've That's done chickens great. our side too, so I know how to care for chickens. Spoiler alert, it's not hard. I would love chickens, and yeah, part of the reason I would love chickens is so I could eat their eggs during Apocalypse. 
Ha, you fools, the best survival animal, according to Rhonda Rousley, and another survivalist enthusiast, is goats. That's what I've heard, is that goats are great. Because you can have butter, well, you can get milk to make butter. I mean, people love butter, so you could probably trade butter as well. That's another big aspect. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And There's milk. your alpha strategy back in. You can make cheese as well. Goat's cheese is the best cheese. You can feed them pretty much anything. They're really hardy. And they're really adorable. I mean, have you seen a little baby goat just hopping around thinking, I'm going to yeah, eat that then, one day? Have you ever seen the videos where the goats scream like people? You use them as like a, as a guard goat. <laughs> it's like, oh, someone's going around. Ah! Ah! <laughs> oh, the warning alarm's going off. Steve is at it again. One final stat. This will dampen everything 20 to 30 percent of americans think that nuclear war or some religious event could happen that would mean the end of the world oh no wow well i wouldn't say that shocks me but hey as if this episode has taught me one thing being prepared is quite important and i'm very genuine in, in, in saying that i'm actually quite interested in thinking maybe i need a bit of a survival care little backpack with some bits and bobs what I would take away from this is you don't have to go to the extreme of eating slop in a bunker, mm. but just thinking maybe I should stock up on things just in case is a pretty good idea. Is it though? <laughs> well, if you live in an area which has flooding, earthquakes, forest fires, whatever, yeah, anything like that, be sensible, prepare yourself. That's what I'd take from all this. What about a country where we have to prepare for Brexit? Hmm. Hmm. I mean, I've already prepared by that by, again... Is it wine again, and cheese? At a very, yeah, it's wine and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> We're not uh, going to have wine and cheese once we leave the EU, that's guys. Why, that's Come why you're now. stocking up now. Oh, you've got to prep for that. Oh, don't worry. I'm going to get all my wine and cheese in in one solid single sitting because it's <laughs> never coming back. Wine and cheese, also vegetables, dental care, any kind of medical help. Did I say fruit and vegetables? Then They're gone. Bread. But we'll still have butter. Butter and dank yes. memes. <laughs> dank memes and butter. That's all that we need to survive on. And probably Boris Johnson. He'll still be around inexplicably. Oh, he, he'll feed us for years. <laughs> <laughs> and with that grotesque and disgusting thought, I think it will call that one there. Thank you all for joining us in exploring the unusual subculture of preppers and survivalists. Thank you, Jacob, for enlightening us. Thank you all for listening to Subcultured. And with that, we bid you adieu. We are the Subculture Board of Tourism, and we apologise.